0: Welcome to the Haunted Hacker Podcast, episode June, volume three. Um, usually I do one a week. This, this week I've done three, uh, so we're cruising right along. Um, news for the Haunted Hacker Podcast, uh, business as usual, things are going great. Um, we have a retired Navy commander coming on in a couple of weeks uh, to talk about uh, nation state security and national security. Um a lot of things going on as far as hackers for vets, the charity, the nonprofit that we started, and the uh, sh- beard shave charity that's coming up in November with Matt Lee and the good folks at Richardson and Richardson um, at IT Innovation conference. So in November this beautiful beard will disappear if we hit $300,000 and that money will go to multiple charities, and one of them being hackers for vets where I started the charity, the nonprofit, to help veterans uh, transition into cybersecurity without um, having to worry about the monetary issues and navigation. Uh, so the money will go to helping them do certifications, laptops, equipment, whatever they need to, to make a, a very smooth transition. So without further ado, I'll introduce Nato. And he has a very interesting background, a very entrepreneurial s- spirit like myself. Um, and just a fascinating person. I learned about him through other people and started following his content, and I was really impressed. So, Nato, tell us about yourself and tell us how you got to cyber and and what you're doing and what your passions are.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, So, I come from sort of just like a very kind of DIY background. Like, I was one of those people who just like as a kid was messing around with stuff. I learned technology starting really with like the old school Max, but then I started getting in trouble when I got a Dreamcast because Dreamcast has a, like a, a Windows-based operating system on it. And you could plug in a little keyboard and get on a browser. And I, I wanted to play Fantasy Star Online. And I wanted to play so badly, but it was like it required dial-up. And we had like, we didn't have a dial-up connection. So I, like as a kid, I like found out that you could get these codes and then use that to get minutes to play this game online. And little did I know at the time, because I was just a kid, I was actually just like taking people's like paid minutes for their dial up. And, and then the next thing, you know, it's like, you get into some trouble doing some things, but, uh, eventually I started working, uh, to like sell cell phones, like out in the middle of like nowhere. I was like way out in like the mountains where it's like the closest city was maybe like four hours away from me. And (laughs) there was like no one who knew anything about technology out there. They're like, Hey, you know how to use computers. I was like, yeah, but I don't, I don't do computer work. They're like, but, but you you want to do computer i was like no and and then like about a few months later they came back and they're like well the cell phone uh, contract is ending so either we're gonna have to fire you or we do have computer roles available if you if you want to work with computers because we think you'd be good at it. i was like well i don't want to lose my job <laughs> that's actually the only reason i ended up in cybersecurity, and so i started working on it and and they had me like refurbishing computers. I was like setting up like satellite arrays on like ranches and stuff like that. So that I started with like working on like the malware for the ranchers, getting their satellite connections going and, and like stuff out in like very strange kind of extreme regions. Uh, and then it was also the middle of like the 2008 times when I was really trying to figure stuff out. And so you kind of just take the work you can get and like other people i think that there's like this like glamorous idea of like working in in a technology job i was making like minimum wage i didn't even know that malware analysis was valuable (laughs) i was like oh this is what minimum wage paid like this is what you do at minimum wage it's like you do malware analysis nice (laughs) this uh because i didn't even know what it was i was like oh i should find better paying work uh so i like went back to the city And I couldn't find better paying work. The the stuff that all paid something that was reasonable was was the stuff that I was originally getting paid minimum wage for. Uh, So then I started working like data centers and everyone was scared of the data centers. And the only reason I started getting into data center work is because other people are like, oh, that sounds hard. I don't want to do that. They're like, hey, do you want to do it? I was like, I don't know. I've refurbished some computers. That's probably good enough. Right. And they're like, yeah, that sounds good. And they just like send me out there. (laughs) Nice. (laughs)
0: that's awesome yeah so so starting out and like as a kid it, we we definitely have that in common because one of the first things i did uh, in technology was learn how to build little um rf phone taps that go onto landlines oh, yeah. <clears throat> and then they they broadcast the conversation via fm signal so I, we have sort of the same spirit when it comes to that so I, i've looked at some of the stuff that, that you're doing now and So one of the things that that I really wanted to dive into about your background is Cloud Underground. Tell me about Cloud Underground, the idea behind it, what you're doing with it, just kind of the whole concept of Cloud Underground.
1: (laughs) So Cloud Underground is probably, it it sounded crazy before we started it, but it worked. So uh, I had originally started a company called Notia Point, uh, which before that was called like data design. And I was was like, I'm going to go try to work in cybersecurity and like help educate people and all these things. And what I came to find is like, you can tell people the stuff that'll help them get like right into a job. And they won't listen to that. Instead, they'll follow the sexy marketing and then then, uh, come back and say, well, I can't get a job. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I have a direct path. I'll tell you how to get there. And they're like, well, but I was told I need to go get these certifications. And so I was like, how about I just let that company run with AI? Cause I'm, I have this, I love AI. It's like a hobby of mine to the point to where I like use it for if, if there's some way that I can apply AI it's, it's I'm going to do it. So I was like, well, I wonder if I could just like let AI run that company. Uh, and so I configured this like AI pipeline using <laughs> like a number of things It uses I uh, I don't know if anyone knows like how like data arbitrage works. Uh, but it's, it's, it's similar to like, uh, where's another place where we see arbitrage is like, uh, like the stock market, mm-hmm. uh, like buying and, and, and selling trades. Well, you can do similar things with like, let's say that you don't want to host machine learning infrastructure, but you can figure out how to generate like a, a little bit of cash flow off of something like an application or a product you're flipping or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can arbitrage like data sets from like, Facebook and from Google and from LinkedIn. And then you can like choose where to like send like what's called like insight tagging Mm -hmm. over to different things. So I was like, Oh, I bet I could just like have AI run the whole company while I go and start a company that solves the other problems that I have with the notion point company, which was uh, it was hard to figure out margins because I needed like lower cost infrastructure. Right. I was like, Oh, I know. I'll just talk to some of my top customers and then see if they want to go build an act like build some infrastructure. And so that turned into like Randall and like Zach was has been on here, who's who's one too. Uh, and they're all like, that sounds like a great idea. Why not? So we were like, let's just why don't we were teaching cybersecurity? So why we need a cloud now, so why don't we teach? cloud by just building like the, the infrastructure and then we can just make it available for the people and if we make enough money we can make it free so we started charging like 150 dollars a month to like sign people up to the dojo and we're like come on we're, we're just gonna build a cloud let's go uh and then we like we got enough interest and we got like research partner and stuff like that and started getting like some some deals uh and some people who wanted to kind of like support our path and then, like ken was a big part of that if anyone's heard of like ken underhill uh And so then we're just like, all right, let's, I guess we're just going to keep, keep going with it. And then uh, after it took, it took about like a a little over a year, we actually completed this thing. It's called like a hyper-converged data center. Mm -hmm. And I was like, all right, well, we taught people how to, how to build cloud by just building one. Uh, so why don't we next, like, just start letting people use it to like, well, now we can teach you how to make a living with the skills because it's one thing to have skills. And it's another thing to know how to make money with your skills. Yep. Cause my whole thought is like, why don't we get people to stop being broke for no reason when there's like ways to just do stuff. So it's like, well, I'll just give you the cloud. Cause I could normally, one of the reasons why people have trouble starting companies and the same challenge at Notion point is like infrastructure costs so much, or mm. you need like people to develop these things. Uh, I was like, well, I don't want to have to do this over again, ever again. And if I go work somewhere else, I don't want to do it over again, ever again, or like tell someone how to do all those things anymore. Cause I've gotten to the point where I'm sick of teaching it. How do you not teach something you never want to teach or do again, make it free for everyone. Don't put licenses on it. Don't put stuff on it that says that you terms and can d- take all that away, take it away and just throw it out there and destroy the market with it. Cause people are going to panic. And then you start getting like the competitors start popping up and they're like, well, you can't do that. I'm like, I can't do what? They're like, you can't just like, there's no such thing as like a copy paste data center. That's a dumb idea. I'm like, well, no one invested in me before I was a threat. So I don't really care about your bottom lines. Right. So this is where we're at. <laughs> and so now a lot of companies, like they depend. And rely on like selling things that might be similar to that. And they charge like $120,000 a year. Mm -hmm. I'm like, why don't we just take the thing that normally costs $120,000 a year, just make it free. So then all those products no longer hold much relevance in the market. And now it's just a matter of time for people to discover it. And then I'm just curious to see what happens. So because I, I could have otherwise continued to try to fund it and license it and try to make money off it that way. I'm like, why don't we make put the money on the people? So it's like if, if the money's to pay people in labor anyways, then just charge more for the labor. So we charge a lot for the labor because it's talent that can fabricate whatever you can imagine versus just like, can you complete the security plus? Right. Pay someone $130,000, you can complete a security plus, or you can pay people who can just like fabricate an entire cloud just because they know how. And so exactly. to me, I'm like, that's who I want to work with. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: In in the industry with certifications, and that's one thing I've fought for so long is that certifications are such a false standard to go by because it's such a, such a snapshot in time, a very small set of data or, information to consume and test on. And the next day, guess what? New vulnerabilities and new t- tactics and techniques come out. So really what is that certification worth other yeah. than <laughs> the $5,000 you charge some kid fresh out of college who can't afford it to take the test. So I, I try to avoid that. And one of my, one of my things that I do when hiring people for my MDR um, is that I don't look at certifications necessarily. I look at how they think and, and, and how they problem problem solve and the creativity, because I think the creativity in this industry is important. I can teach anybody how to look at a platform and alert something, but I can't teach them how to be creative and, and how to use their mind to, to go from that point to another point. Um, so I, I really value your opinion on, on those certifications, because I think that, that the certification industry, which is what they become, is a poison.
1: I think so. It's cause it's cause you get these folks who think that they need to get these certifications before getting a job. The first technical job that I got, like, I guess that wasn't paying me minimum wage. Uh, they said that I needed a certification, but they hired me before getting it. And then they also paid for it. And I failed the cert while working there and getting paid. I don't know how many times until I passed it. And, and then I see these people trying to get these certifications before getting the job. And it's hard for me to wrap my head around. Like it's you're going to end up being broke for a year, maybe two or three years, or four years, trying to feel like maybe one day you can apply to a job. Like I just, I can't, I can't even recommend it. It right. doesn't make any sense.
0: <laughs> you know what? My first certification, um, besides the Ceh, I wouldn't challenge that. Took it uh, because my company is paying for it, so it's free. Yeah. But the next certification that I challenged was back, I believe it was 2008, and it was sand certifications. And back then, they had where you could challenge the the certification test, pay three or four hundred you know dollars, which wasn't much because they didn't expect you to pass. They wanted you to take the boot camp, but they also did the testing online without proctors. So I went and challenged three of their exams in one day and passed them all. And they put me on an audit committee to check and see if I cheated. And I'm like, no, your exams just really suck. So I, you know, certifications have come a ways, but they still suck. So, and I, I think that, you know, training and, and being able to be exposed to the technology and, and the processes, I think that's where the true knowledge comes from. It, it's not taking a test really.
1: I agree. Cause it's like every single student that I've had that succeeded. So like when I built the Pied Hacker experience, that's how I met like everyone who made what like turned into cloud underground possible. Uh, I made this like package and program called, uh, Well, I got this idea because I was reading a bunch of articles and blogs and it was like, how did Bezos find his co-founders? Cause I had just burned through co-founders like no tomorrow. I think like uh, I burned through like seven co-founders. I apologize to people who think that this is a distasteful opinion, but I think that firing is maybe one of the most valuable things in business. I think the better you are at firing, you'll find significantly more success in life. And I, I am not opposed to being fired. Let me be blunt about that too. I've been fired. I've had people who disagree with me. I've been like, part of big layoffs i've also been a part of causing big layoffs i've been on all sides of all things uh and to me i just see it as like it's business i guess i don't know it's one it's of those natural things. progression yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so like bezos how did he find or at least i don't know if this is true or if it's just what that blog was saying at the time uh because sometimes people say things that aren't true in blogs but they're like oh he he hired his best customers i was like oh no Customers. So sense? I, I <laughs> it made too much sense. Uh, and I was consulting mostly with Notion Point, but I was like, well, what if I stop consulting and, and shift to more of a product focus and make the product to be to like identify the kinds of people who I wish I knew to like who I'd work with, which usually means you have to like put people through a series of very specific tests to identify them. <laughs> And so I created uh, this the Pied Hacker experience and I, because I, I, I'm a gamer, I love video games. I'm not going to even pretend like I don't. I'm not obviously. <laughs> uh, it's too. like, I, it's like games that they'll have like an easy mode and a, an a in-between like intermediate. Mode. And yeah, you got like the hard mode. Uh, right. And then I really like games like, uh, have you ever played like Dark Souls or Elden Ring? Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, I like, I love those, those games and they like, if I, they they have, they're just hard games. Yeah. Uh, so I made a mode called hope for the hardcore. Cause I was like, I hope that I find more hardcore is what was in my head when I labeled it that. Uh, cause it's kind of like in my own head, like hope for me to find more people who are a little more hardcore than just like, I just am here to complete this thing. And then I'm going to go apply to 4,000 job applications till I get one. One person kept a spreadsheet, took them 4,000 something. it was like 4002 job applications before landing one i'm like nope not gonna do that (laughs) (laughs) i was not not my audience Uh, so i was like how do i find the more hardcore types so i made that and lo and behold like what it what it pushed people into is not not like not just build your own technology but try to also make a living with your own technology and then i was like i'm gonna find the, the perfect intern who's gonna make that possible and I just remember I was looking around and because LinkedIn's filled with all these people who are certain ways. And there was someone named Christina. And I was like, who's Christina? And Christina had blue hair. And then I started talking and lo and behold, it wasn't actually Christina. That was Zach. And then I was like, I need Whoa. an intern. And you're the person who is perfect for exactly what I'm looking for, because you just did something half crazy. And I need someone like you. And so he became he became uh, the intern for that. And you always kind of hope that these things might work that the way that they did. But not only did he make his own technology from what he learned with that, he went and st- like started making like a uh, company, started making his own living. Uh, and so I helped him start getting some early deals so he could get some cash cycling around. Then he took that money and started, because that's that's what you hope people do is like, okay, look, look, I don't need to give you too much money, just enough to get going. And will you make something of it? Will you? And right. he did. And, and, and that's what you hope to find. And then I also found uh, Randall, who's part of the cloud underground team. And for me, I'm not that person who thinks that people should necessarily work together. Uh, directly I like you can either be a partner or work with me I don't really care however people want to work with me I just see it as like we're just making some things happen and if if we're getting paid and we're eating and we're feeding our families and growing and doing some cool stuff hey Uh, so uh, Randall joined more directly and he's like okay so he was a big part of like the day-to-day process for building out a lot of the other things. And then Zach, Zach too, there's a lot of people who are involved. Then you just get into like the dojo from its journey from like zero members to like a hundred members. And the first, probably like the first 10 members uh, created uh, all of the concepts that I collected. Uh, And then uh, the few folks of us who did more of the engineering built what's called a a, a hyper converged data center. And that's what the underground nexus is copy-paste data center
0: that's pretty badass so when i was talking to zach when i interviewed him and talking to santiago and it, learning about what they had going on the copy and paste data center that's pretty fucking amazing and you know just the concept alone <clears throat> not even the operation but in the production but just the concept um, i think is foreign to a lot of people because we're all used to the constructs that are here now And, and the way things have always been done and the way that the industry does it. But I like that you guys actually step outside the box and like, look at things from a visionary standpoint and say, Hey, look, I know that you're doing your thing this way. And that's great because I'm not here to impede that, but I'm doing shit my own way. And I think that takes, first of all, it takes a strong person. It takes someone very intelligent. And like you have the entrepreneurial spirit to actually go out and make that shit work. And I totally get what you're saying about giving money to somebody and, and really hoping that something comes out of it. Um, but it looks like you've been really successful. At that.
1: So it's a weird process. I'd say it's, it's, it's partly luck because it depends on who you run into. But I, I, I also see it as you can increase the frequency of luck with numbers, too. Yes.
0: Yes. So, and I did hear about the proving grounds, you know, where they can go on to the, the, the platform and actually test your skills and not many people make it through it. And I think that's pretty awesome because, you know, up until now we've had what OSCP that, that gave that kind of proof that you can do what you do um, until they got you know pre-smashed and all the answers to the test leaked and had to reform. Um, but still that, that concept I think is, the winning concept when it comes to finding people, right? So back in about 2006, that was my idea. I was running a pen test team for a company called NEC Unified. And I was having such a hard time finding people back then who knew how to pen test and, and were proficient at it. You know, It wasn't, you know, it wasn't very new, um, but again, it wasn't very old either. And what I did was I just grabbed VirtualBox and a bunch of VMs uh, you know, that were vulnerable and threw them on there. And that was the test. That was the interview. I, I don't want to know about certifications. I don't want to know about your education. I want to see how you, how your mind works. Um, and to me, psychology and behavior analysis and stuff like that has always been kind of a hobby of mine. Um, and I think that stems from the neurodiversity that I have. And so throwing that together and watching people watching how they work as they're doing it that proves a lot and, and i does. think that you you're definitely you're definitely spot on when it comes to that i think that's really cool
1: it's it's interesting because i think like um i i get these these folks because i well i get a lot of people tell me that the things that i do either aren't possible or or that you especially before i do them i i i, I also, i'll have this thing where like after I complete something that people told me like, isn't possible, then all of a sudden I lose a whole bunch of followers every single time. Uh, and then I gain more every time from all these people. Who are like what, whoa, well, that, that's possible. And then I get this like wave of people. Cause if, if someone's going to hate on me, I'm not going to block you. I'm going to make you watch if you're willing. And, and, yes. and if you want to watch, I'll give you a show too. I'll even make it like a magic show and I'll come up with some tricks if I can. Uh, <laughs> but it, it's like a, if you can get into that, it, like into the other person's mind a little bit and kind of uh, find ways to build experiences that let you observe what people are doing. And I, one of the ways that I do it is how did we make the copy paste data center, like a copy paste data center? Cause people wonder sometimes like, well, how is that possible? Uh, so it's done with Git, which is even though it's like version management. Uh, one of the nice things about Git is I, I really don't, particularly care for like licensing things like that but it also like automatically like you have copyright right there because you have some stuff that's written down and that's got a protection of its own in case someone tries to be like oh i invented this and i'm gonna make it impossible for people to do and then uh, now everyone has to pay for it and it's no longer free so to prevent that sort of thing git lets me have that copyright in case someone tries to basically take down the structure or try to claim that i'm cut that i copied their structure something stupid uh but uh since it's all written down too, that means that that's all the configurations. They're right there. And uh, whenever you go and like start running the little like container program for the underground Nexus, it just goes back and then reads all of those instructions basically from uh, all of it's uh, like the Git structure cool. so I, Yeah. <laughs> I used to build, um, well, not used to, I, I build systems in general. But like when I got into refurbishing, I I like would build like receivers, I would build like gaming computers and I just whatever thing, but you get like a motherboard that has inputs and outputs in a BIOS system. So I took the functions of BIOS and put it in Git and Mm -hmm. basically
0: made Git the BIOS. And that's how it works. That's pretty badass. You know, and when, when I learned about the structure, I thought, you know, how genius is that? You know, using Git in order to deploy data centers, like that's pretty badass. Um, but going back to to your comment about losing followers and gaining followers, what I found in the industry right now, uh, the temperament and the pulse on on the industry, from my perception, is that a lot of people in the industry are tired of hearing the same old shit over and over again, and it's the same buzzwords, it's the same marketing bullshit. People really want to hear something unique and something new. Um, but the, the, the caveat to that and the catch 22 to that is they want to hear something new and they want to see something phenomenal out of the box that, that nobody has done before. But then again, the whole industry starts to question, is that, is it true? Is it real? Does it really work? You know, is this bullshit? And then you get the naysayers who, you know, do their thing to disrupt. and, and it, It's just a pain in the ass. But what I found <laughs> is if you're genuine and you really have something unique, which you do, followers come and go, but they'll always be there. You know what I'm saying? Fair enough is
1: it's definitely one of those things it's it's funny watching uh like other people who i mentor too because it's like you go through it for yourself and then after a while and you start like having other folks who are like going out there and like putting things into practice mm-hmm. then you'll like see them going through their experience and then like everyone gets hit with that like their their first <laughs> hater and then it's like that first that first month of getting like online hate people just like even even some of the like people dislike are like, what is this? What do I do?
0: Freak <laughs> out, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did the same thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> a lot of people, a lot of people know about what happened to me last year, and I had a shit ton of haters. And but what a valuable lesson that I learned, and I'm not very good at social cues or, or understanding social concepts a lot of the time. Um, but what somebody told me that really stuck with me is that. When you get haters, you're doing something right. Um, no matter if they're talking about you in a positive way or a negative way, they're still talking. And that's I think that's, that's important, you know, and there's always going to be haters. There's always going to be people who don't want to allow people to be not mainstream. Oh, you're in cybersecurity. You need to think this way. You need to act this way. You need to look this way and you need to operate this way. And then when you when you veer off and you're like, wait a minute, I don't buy all this bullshit and I have my own mind and I'm going to speak it. Then everybody's shocked. Like, wait a minute, you can't do that. It is
1: true, people freak out. They're like, and sometimes people do it to try to save you too. They're like, you're going to end up in a dangerous spot. And they're like, I'm just trying to help you. Right. It's like,
0: don't worry. I'm going to jump off this. that cliff and it's going to be good. And then I'm going to be the first loomer off that cliff and everybody That's else right. is going to follow.
1: And then they're, and they're, they're going to be like, biting their nails and then after they like see you do it they're like looking at the at, at the ledge and they're like that's, that's maybe it's not as bad as i thought it was
0: maybe that water's not that deep."
1: <laughs> yeah it's uh and it is it is interesting too because um people do like do more group think because once you start getting enough people just like coming around checking out what you're doing mm-hmm. uh it, it's i've always found this fascinating with groups because i even went to like I, i've done so many random things but like i I went to college not for an education, even though I was like, well, I'll get some education because I, I do like learning and things like that. But really the reason I went to college is because I was like dealing with like complicated, fa- like family background things that put me in things. And so it gave me a place to like live. So I was like a residence uh, nice. er, uh And then I also would like DJ and that's how I like covered other bills. So I basically got to be paid to live where I lived, while also going and getting educated and studying at the same time while also like, uh, so I studied human communications. Mm -hmm. And like, it's, it's such a thing. It's such a human thing that like, if you start seeing a group form, it's, it's going to like create its own personality. Uh, And it's, you, you get a lot of people who will naturally want to try to figure out how to like, manage the crowd, which can cause some weird things, but like, it, especially depending on the on the kind of crowd you have, and and you have a little more of like the hacker crowd because I do too. And uh, if if someone says the wrong thing to me out in public, I have to like calm people down. I'm like, right. don't you do that? Don't, don't <laughs> no, don't you go knock on
0: that person's door? Don't you go find them? Don't do it. Don't just don't just don't. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and, and it's funny too how groups take on on their own personality. Like you said, like when I first started this podcast, it was just me and my roommate. And I was just going to talk to people and and do a Q and a, that was my idea of doing a podcast. And it went from that to, you know, four hour, five hour, six hour podcast, which was way too long. I think at one point um, very early on, we had a a podcast where we were like having some bourbon and just kind of hanging out and drinking. Um, After about five hours, I think I literally went to my room and fell asleep and crashed and nobody knew (laughs) what was going on. They're like, where'd he go? (laughs) But those were the early days. But what happens was with just the idea of the podcast and just giving that one podcast, next thing you know, you have a community and you have a discord and you have a website and you have more people flowing in. And what I found is that when you try to control that and when you try to put rules in place, we try to put some kind of structure in place, that organic formation of that group absolutely fucking falls apart. Um, because it it's not what it's for, you know. It's it's a it's a ball of energy. You just gotta let it go, whether it be mm-hmm. natural, or organic. Anytime you try to harness it, it's all fucked up. It's um, so true though. Yeah, <laughs> it is a hundred percent. And I had to learn it the hard way. And so I stepped away from Discord, and I was like, you know, you yeah, got this is this is your this is your place. I, I don't. I'm not gonna manage it. I'm not gonna you know be the head cheese in charge or whatever. This is y'all's place. My place is up here. That, you know, I, I got to go out and create and do this, that, and the other, which is good for me. But after I did that, that idea of the group of the haunted hacker ended up morphing into more of a a global thing, uh, mm-hmm. where, peop, where people where people like, oh yeah, have you heard about this? Like, I've been to some conferences where someone comes to me and say, hey man, I really love listening to your podcast, and it shocked, it still shocks me because I'm like, wait a minute, you actually listen to what I say. Like, do you know Dr. how dangerous that yeah. is
1: <laughs> that makes so much sense <laughs>
0: yeah
1: That's, it's i still struggle with that one even now because it's 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 not even necessarily uh like imposter syndrome is just like i, I to, you know one of my lawyers once upon a time said to me because i was just like talking about uh it was like trademarking or something. i don't remember what the conversation was mm. uh and he was like whatever it is that like you think or do for us as ourselves as individuals we'll see what we do for ourselves as common because right. it's our world and to us it is common but the important thing to remember is that to everyone who's not us it's not and i think like i just keep remembering that every time <laughs> i just like get into that i'm like oh That's right. Okay. So this is is like, and so I've just like kind of really come into this understanding that it's like, okay, so there's this world in my head. That's like common to me. Right. Uh, And it is interesting when you first start getting like a, like a following and stuff like that. Cause it's, it's funny. I relate to like when when you're doing like your early day stuff and you don't have like any attention and stuff, Mm -hmm. it's like, you're just like, I was just going to go do this thing. And you know, in the beginning, it's like, you still want to, you're, you're going to keep doing it because you're like oh it's going to grow someday but then when it does start to grow it almost feels like uh like mentally we just stay in the beginning of when it all started because it's like well i haven't changed everything else around me is changing i'm like well there's all these people these people are like wow that what you made is really cool i'm like oh yeah who are you 20 (laughs) people And then it, yeah. it's almost doesn't feel real sometimes, but it, it is. <laughs>
0: it, it, you, you hit the nail right on the head. Like I look back now and I, I look at what I'm doing and, and things that I'm trying to promote. It's just like, how did this happen? Like, is this real? You know, do right. am I going to wake up tomorrow <laughs> and realize that I'm still like an analyst like 15 years ago? You know, But it's cool though, because, you know, I think, what it shows to people coming into the industry or people who are interested in doing what we do is that it is fucking possible. Totally. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And you know, there's a lot of companies, a lot of people out there that will say, Oh no, you don't want to do that. Or you can't do that. It won't be successful, but it just depends on the person. If you're genuine, you tell the truth, you throw your shit out there. Don't give a fuck what people say about it. Guess what? People are going to listen. And I think that's, what's cool about what you guys are doing is that you know, I'm sure there's naysayers, but what's cool is seeing that you guys are going forward and this shit's working and that you guys don't really care about what they're saying. You know, that's not the focus. The focus is to make things easy on people and efficient and, and make money. Oh. And I think that's that's what we're all here for, really.
1: Yeah, I mean, people just want to, like, make enough money to, like feed their family, have a good life, like go, go to a fun event, just like do some stuff, like not work 80 hour work weeks for absolutely no reason. Like, I feel like, like, well, you, you work in cybersecurity. So you, you know, like there's so many companies who just want to treat their, like their malware team or their soccer, I, I guess it doesn't really matter. Like their, their, their research, threat researchers, Just as if it's like a sweatshop, and I've even had like somewhere they'll they'll treat the. I worked at the sock, and they would treat it like we're the zoo or something like that. Right. The admin would be like, "Oh, we're just we're just the 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 sock monkeys. We just throw Mm -hmm. shit at each other, and it's it's, it's, just life." Uh, But (laughs) and it's such a thing, and they're they're like, "Look at these beautiful specimen here. Right. You See them working. Look at that one's typing right now."
0: Look at the pretty, <laughs> look at the pretty pew pew maps up on the screen. Yeah. Oh shows. yeah. <laughs> like oh, it's, it's beautiful, isn't it? Yes, yes. And it's so meaningful too. Like all the data is actually usable. Not really. Um, right. But yeah, the first sock that I worked in, actually the second sock that I worked in, was uh, we had what we called the fishbowl. So <laughs> it was the sock was stadium seating, big screens in the front, and then in the back on the side there was a conference room. That had windows. When you hit a button, those windows would go from being, you know, opaque to transparent, and they could show the potential <laughs> clients. And this is where the magic is done, or whatever. Uh, really cool concept. I stayed in contact with uh, one of my first bosses out of the military, who who developed that sock. Um, and I I think that's another key point uh, to really be successful in the industry and in life in general is that. I don't look at my bosses as bosses. I look at them as mentors and every boss that I've had to date um, that I still keep in contact with, it's because they were a true mentor. Um, um, and I don't think there's enough people out there that are actually really mentors, although there are a ton of people on social media that, that claim to be mentors. Um, but I think it, it takes a personal connection with those Mm. people in order to be a true mentor. And I've had, you know, interns that I've learned stuff from. So when someone tells me, Oh, I can't mentor anybody because I've only been in security for a couple of years. Bullshit. Everybody has something to share. So It's so true.
1: Like uh, it's so spot on because no matter who you are, and, and, and I think that's a good way to look at it too. Cause ultimately like if, if you're getting hired somewhere, like whoever, Anyone's bosses is really trying to just like help everyone figure out whatever's going on, and there are bad bosses out there. But right. even at like the worst company that I remember working at, my boss was maybe one of the best bosses I've had, and I stayed at like pro- I I stayed way longer at that company than I shouldn't have, should not should should have stayed. I won't say which companies a bunch of companies been at, uh, but. Like if, if it was 3 a.m. in the morning and I was like still working, he was probably working with me and being like, yes. hey, how about you go to bed? I'll be up late. And then at least one of us will have is I know it's 3 a.m. But you have like two or three hours of sleep is better than nothing. right? right? <laughs> and I just remember, like, I hated that company. I hated the, the, the whoever ran the company at the top. Uh, but like, I really liked the people and like the direct team members and all that stuff. And it's, I guess it's not that I necessarily hated that individual. I hated how they ran their company and how they treated their staff. Uh, and they like, it was, that was definitely a sweatshop, but it is such a thing that like, you know, when you have a a good boss, it's, it's a, it's a permanent impact on who,
0: like who you become in, in the industry. Right. Or even who you become as an adult or a person. That's yeah. true. I think yeah. every, <clears throat> I think every uh, interaction I have with, with individuals, whether it be short-term interaction or long-term interaction, somehow they influence a part of me that develops or changes um, totally. based on our interaction. You know, I learned something from everybody. And that's kind of the point of this podcast is that I started to, first of all, leave a legacy behind for people who are coming into the industry and want to know what it was like when it first started, but also just to learn from people. You know, I think totally. it's a great way to really dive into people's backgrounds and, and learn something that I may not know or, or, you know, share something that they may not know. Um, totally. So that's the way I look at it. So where do you see Cloud Underground going? What's the future?
1: So Cloud Underground, I, I guess I have like, so I make like 50 year plans. It's, it's part of like a really long, complex plan, I guess. If I try to like boil, I'm really bad about being brief about like really complex plans that I have. So, so mm-hmm. I'll try to, I'll try to find the, uh, I'm getting better at narrowing concepts. So I used to be really bad at this. So I, my dad was an entrepreneur and pretty much like, even though like it was, he, he, he was the, the, the entrepreneur that just figured out how to like barely survive, but you learn from that because even if we were like rather broke growing up and all that stuff. And like, sometimes it's like to the streets it is, uh, or like wondering how you're going to eat and stuff. You, you learn from that experience and you pick up things in the company that my dad started, it had its rough patches, but he stuck with it. Uh, And until it's now somewhere like over 40 years that it's been in business now and and it's growing and it's uh, now uh, has a a global presence uh, and all this stuff. So I think like seeing that it's a nonprofit, though, which the challenge of that is no no long term money in uh, nonprofit, which is complicated. So I wanted to come up with a way to not be where you're kind of just like under the thumb of your backers. Where like, if you don't abide by their bidding uh, and, and try to, and, and one of the challenges with people who invest is sometimes they try to control your path and control. They don't know what makes it work. Uh, and then, uh, and I, so I wanted to become someone who could sort of help, I guess others find their path, but without trying to control them and coming up with ways to be like, here's some things that you would normally need money for, Uh, but how about I just give you the asset and back away? Because when you put money into it and it's cash, people need cash for something. Why don't I just give them the thing and back away? Because if I give them the thing and back away, uh, then I I don't end up in that scenario that I grew up in. uh, Mm -hmm. Because what happens is people start getting anxious about having to please you if you're like backing them in some way or providing for them in some way. And then they feel like, like they must abide by you. And I just don't work that way. So for me, I want to make cloud underground become a presence for people to sort of find their own paths and create their own of whatever it is. So even with the underground nexus, one of the reasons why, cause I get asked the question all the time, cause it's, it's a very beastly solution to just be like, Oh, it's free. Have, have this thing. <laughs> If people take it and iterate by 10% on it, it's no longer the underground nexus. It's actually something different even from like a legal standpoint. I can't come after you even if I wanted to. I wanted that scenario, though. And so what this means is I want to find the people who go and start making things of themselves and help them as a person first and bring people together uh, with the resources that we provide as an alternative to funding to kind of get money less of the conversation. And instead of making money, the conversation around like, let me give you funding, let money to be the certification, go earn the money. Go earn right. some cash from your hands, your craft. I'll sit there with you while you're selling. And then when you're like, well, what am I supposed to be doing today? Did you, you, you still selling? Well, I'm tired. I said, yeah, you better get back to selling. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I, I want people to learn how to break out. And I've seen enough people do it that I know that it's not for everyone necessarily, but I want to then like start finding ways to incubate partnerships with people as a, as a way to like try to find ways to further reward people who are like building things up uh, and then continue to find more ways to like build more valuable assets that save people time and money because I see time and money is the same thing mm-hmm. uh, and one of the other things that I even I try to practice what I preach so when people are like well how do you fund a lot of things sometimes if, if I know that I need a thing not going to ask for money i'm going to ask for the thing if Mm. i need a hundred thousand dollars for a thing don't give me a hundred thousand dollars give me the thing the thing yes (laughs) and then i I also get people who are like well why why aren't you just asking for money it's like no i don't because then i have to get labor i have to build the thing i have to go make this that's more time out of my day so that's more expensive than than you just getting the thing hand me the thing otherwise now you gave me money, now I have to move fast, now I have to go pay some developers and hope they turn X, Y, Z around. And then all of a sudden reliability of of like turnarounds goes down. So for Cloud Underground, I really kind of see it being sort of like an incubator company where people come, where we're building a, a, like a, I run something called the dojo that's part of Cloud Underground and that's where we do most of like the building. So people come in, they sign up, And then we have a a belt system that we just released a rework for that. Uh, And we kind of have people kind of work their way toward just like getting experience, just getting used to doing tasks that you probably should consider doing for uh, like a job or a company instead of going to college or something like that. Uh, and then by the, and then in the beginning, it's like training wheels where we just kind of make it like a self-paced job. Like if you were an entrepreneur and someone had just given you a budget to go buy these things, I'm not going to give you the budget to go buy the things, but here's the underground nexus. You just have the thing, take it and then start just doing your build, start building your stuff. That's everything from there. You can do almost free, get a raspberry Pi at least, and you can get to market. Uh, and so then I, wait till people work their way up to being like, okay, you are now at the point where you're ready to start being able to make money with this. And at that junction, that's how they get like a belt rank that lets me know that they're ready to start trying to make money. And why don't we just make money? The certification. So for me, it's like, make money, go make more money. Have you made money yet? Why are you getting because then they're like, well, I want to I want to get some certifications because, I, you know, I don't want to sound greedy or I don't want to make too much money. It's like, well, then you're never going to have money because everything costs money and time costs money. And if you spend a year looking for certs, you're just going to run out of it. And then you're going to end up bagging groceries at the grocery store because you're too broke. So right. let's not do that. Let's just get right to it. Let's not waste time. Like you have kids who are four years old and you're missing their glory days while you're sitting here thinking you need these certifications that you don't need. Let's get out of it. Let's, let's live life a little more because you can have more life and more money and work remotely. So, and so why did we tar- target cloud also? I wanted to give people, cloud is one of the most like biggest, I guess, industries for like capital, you want to make money, you go work in like data science or cloud and get good at it. Even if you're really bad at it, six figures is considered low pay. So if you're making a hundred thousand or 120,000 doing like cloud engineering, cloud development, Facebook will now pay people upwards of like $800,000 for cloud development. And if we get into Microsoft, they're starting to offer million dollar contracts, to people at cloud skills, because yep. uh, they want to keep people off the market and get that talent inside their own house. Because if they can either pay you a million and you'll make the same equivalent thing that you would raise a million to build for them and they own it, mm-hmm. or you're going to probably raise a million without them and have a million dollars and a product that's competing against them. Right. Just business. So why don't we just give people the stuff like forever more is kind of how I see it. And, and kind of uh, the other way is like, I, so I'm heavily disabled and like I'm at a point in my life where even though I'm younger than most people who are like, like, I, I can't really muster the like a work week, like most people, I can probably hit about like, on an average week, like 20 hours before, like, I start having weird anomalies and things like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, so like other people, they have this luxury that they can work 80 hours if they felt like it that actually doesn't exist for me. So it actually turned into part of my value proposition is because I have Mm -hmm. to find ways that even if I can only work like five to 10 hours in a week, I have to feed my family. I have to make sure that like, I'm taking care of more than just like my wife. I have like, like other folks, like in my family, I have a pretty big family. My family's huge. I'll just be blunt about that. Like there's a lot going on. And like I, I, other people have families too. Some folks got things going on that aren't your job. And like, I have to be able to make sure that people have like a roof over their heads. And now it's like, I'm funding this like underground nexus thing and funding like multiple companies now. And, and if I have to worry about what I'm going to eat tomorrow, then that means I'm going to worry about how uh, at least like 10 people at the minimum are going to eat tomorrow. And I can't do that. So just start making some money. That's, yeah. my, that's all I want
0: people to do. Exactly. It, it reminds me of the true idea and the true motivation behind the development and birth of open source. To me, that that's what is culminating within what you're doing because basically you're, you're creating something that might as well be open source, but you're giving it to somebody to further their career with. And to me, that's invaluable. You know, And like you said, if, if you have to worry about how you're going to feed the family or if you have to worry about how are you are going to get to the doctor next week because you've worked too much and you made yourself sick, I mean, how much is that really worth, you know? So you have to get to a point where things kind of autonomously run and, you know, you have fingers everywhere to pull that in, right? So that's kind of what I do <clears throat> with, you know, I do like 3D printing and I have a business on the side where I make random shit, and sell it to people on a 3D printer. Um, I'm always looking for that next side hustle. You know, because that's the that's entrepreneurial awesome. spirit. And I'm just like, every time I create something and I make it a product and I sell it, it's like, it's exciting. It's like a magic trick, right? Because Absolutely. it's like, shit, it works. Like, oh my God. Um, and then when I look at the profit margins, it's phenomenal. And the reason why I picked 3D printing is because a spool of 3D printing filament costs $24. And I can create this magnificent, huge, complex object and sell it for 80 bucks. And, I, you know, and the margin is just, the mar- profit margin is enormous. Um, so, I mean, th- those are the types of things that, that I look for. And I, I think that your mind is in the same place. Like, you know, let's see if we can create something that's going to be proficient, efficient, and not take 5 million people to create it, right? Yes. And that's the key point because that is your profit margin. When you, when you have to employ a lot of people to develop things, there goes your profit and you're struggling and you have a very small income. But if you, if you do it yourself and learn how to fabricate that to, to do it multiple times, I mean, it's like a cookie cutter and it's, yeah. a, a very, it's like a golden cookie cutter. <laughs> so I, I really respect what, what you guys are doing. Like I, I've looked into it and <clears throat> you know, I've, I've been around for a pretty long time. And when uh, they were talking about the copy and paste idea and how it ran and how it worked, I was like, that's fucking phenomenal. You know, you've taken the idea of open source and developed something much, much more powerful. Um, And it may take, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are entrepreneurs and inventors and and just visionaries who come up with these things. And at at the moment, people are doubtful. They don't think it'll work. You know, they don't want to touch it but years down the road, people look back and go, man, that shit was pretty smart. Um, (laughs) so I try to encourage that. I try to encourage people to, to think on their own and really, you know, go off in directions that they want to go. Don't let what the industry dictates you should do be what you do. Go venture for, go venture for yourself, experience shit, um, and fail, fail, please fail. Because if you don't fail, you'll never learn. Um, and that's one of the things that, that, I had to do for myself because I'm the type of person that I can watch somebody else do it all day long and I can watch them fail, but I'm the type of jackass that will go, Hmm, they failed. I wonder if I'll fail too. And I'll just right. go. Out <laughs> <laughs> so, it's you such know, a the, thing. yeah. And there's been failures and, you know, I, I, I lend a lot of my successes, my big successes to being a product of my biggest failures. It's, it's I, such I,
1: a thing. Yeah. It and it's good to outline that too. Cause the uh, same here for me is like most things that I've done just like failed into the ground. It's just the thing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but just like with hacking, I, I think the word that I live by is persistence. Right. So if I compromise a network, you know, you, you can get the keys of the kingdom, but where do you really get the most intel and the most information and most monetary value? Through persistence. Right. True. Cool. So that's the same thing I carry over into business, persistence. And I keep telling my analysts and I tell people applying for jobs, persistence is key. You know, if, if you decide, oh well, shit ain't working. I'm just gonna give up. Well, okay, see ya. Because if you would have been persistent two more days, might have worked out. Um it's so but, true. Yeah. It's and it's what you just said is the one because people ask
1: me, like, well, what should I be doing? What should I be doing? almost the only thing that matters in the online world is that persistence also because like people have to see persistence too, because you, you don't get trust without persistence. You don't get recognition without persistence. No one knows who you are without it. And it kind of reminds me, it just reminds me of that quote, if I can remember what it is. Uh, but I saw like on a YouTube video from like Casey Neistat. And ever since I saw, I was like, that, that describes me, but he's like uh, the, let's see the the rational person adapts to the world around them mm-hmm. and the like irrational person expects the world to adapt to them. Right. And all progress though, relies on the irrational person. Right. And so I tend to like, so I, I, mean, for me, it's like, I choose progress. So if, if that's what that means, then like, cause there are other statements like that, like in a way, rationality is not the path to progress. Yes. Uh and sometimes you have to go try something that sounds like it might be risky or sounds crazy. And if if so many people aren't just like risk intolerant or like or just like averse or whatever, like they're just like completely intolerant of risk. They're like risk, I can't do that. Right. Uh and then like persistence that's risky. And you have to be you have to have some audacity to be persistent with some things. Not only do you have to have some audacity. You sometimes do have to be completely irrational to be like, no, I'm putting my foot down on this. I'm making this. And then everyone's like, no, that's not sounds crazy. Well, we don't have time for that is what well. I used to get all these people who would be like, well we don't have time for that and then they'd propose all these things that take 8 to 9 to 10 to 20 times as long. And mm-hmm. like I come from a very like experienced background of like building like all kinds of scales of environments. Like I've built like environments that cost like over millions of dollars to like maintain. I've worked on like darts, dark sites, I've worked on like infrastructure for like NASA security and things like that. Like Air Force like worked on like satellite infrastructure I mean, you go down all these long lists, trust me, if I say something's going to take longer than something else, I've probably actually spent years dealing with it. Right. And and, and it's uh, people will be like, well, but this is going to be faster. And then what I'll usually do is I'll sometimes like cooperate and be like, oh, really now? And I'll just like, you're like mm, let's go then it's like taking them a while while i'll just like open up a side project on purpose while we're doing this other thing that the longest most painful way possible and then with all of this excess workload i'll be like make this other thing that's a significantly more efficient version of it and then i'll go and start like selling that thing so that they see it no i don't do that if it's like a partner that i like it's usually right. like someone who i'm i i i, I am like about to quit working with uh, so that I can just make sure that they know what I think about them. And then when I leave, then I'm like, this is why I was able to leave. Cause you didn't want to do something that made sense. And so I left because of that, because I prefer things
0: that make sense. And and here's the end product, which is much better than the one you were creating. And Guess what? I finished it a lot quicker.
1: Yeah. And, and, and then if, if they have a non-compete, I'll put it in a non-competing market or industry, because it's not, it's, to me, it's not about competing with them. It's just, I just want to prove the principle that's like, well, I'm just going to change the use case, change the industry, change all these things. And I just need you to see that what I'm talking about, you're going to learn something and then I'll profit from it. And I don't know what's going to happen to your company because I told you that there's this better alternative. And I offered it to you first, and I'm going to stick with the thing that's more lucrative. I'm sorry. (laughs)
0: 100% 100 of the time. And what's what's funny is you talked about you know, sometimes those type of people, those visionaries, um, are looked at as being irrational, right? So I look back at some of my role models from, from history, and I look at Einstein, and I look at Da Vinci, and some of the things that they created. And back during their time, especially Einstein, there was a good amount of people that thought he was just out of his fucking mind. (laughs) <laughs> um, and then you, then you look at Da Vinci who, you know, fast forward to modern day and you look at his sketches and, and he developed the helicopter before there was flight. I see, Yeah.
1: I looked at those. <laughs> That's such a thing. <laughs> yeah.
0: So th- those are, those are my, those are definitely my role models. And in like Ms. Nikolai Tesla and the, the fight that he had with the FBI and the government about, you know, his inventions and his ideas, Um, you know, there's people scattered and peppered all throughout history that were visionaries and had their own dreams and concepts that came into fruition. But during the progression, they were persecuted, prosecuted and called crazy. Yeah. But, you know, we, we read about and said, read about them today in in history books because they made such a huge impact on modern day history. Uh, and I think we're going to see, you know, probably not in my lifetime, in your lifetime, but fast forward, you know, down the road uh, to when cars are flying, um, totally. <laughs> people will probably look back and say, you know what, those, those crazy guys back in the beginning of cyber Street, I had a fucking real idea, you know, That's like crazy this, sh- th- this thing actually worked and nobody listened to them, but now we live by it. Um, so I, you know, I, I tend to stick to that belief as well as, you know, I came into this world alone And when I look at the masses and people following, you know, the masses and trying to conform to what's expected, um, I've never been that person. I've always been the person who looked at how things are running and, you know, talked to a few people and kind of got an idea. And I said, okay, that's cool, but I don't want to be part of that crowd. I want to go on my own and figure shit out for myself. And of course, as a kid that caused a hell of a lot of problems, (laughs) and I got a hell of a lot of trouble but as an adult now, like I've had that experience and I know what it takes to be successful. And I know what happens if you don't put in that persistence. Definitely. Uh, so with the podcast, that was one of the things that, that I struggled with early on when it started getting to be um, accepted and, and more, I guess, listened to or whatever is I felt the pressure of Should I conform and should I make it a podcast where it's clean and and, and everybody, you know, is happy go lucky? And I followed the same mantras the podcaster before me. And it really put a lot of pressure on me. And at one point, I wanted to quit and I was like, I just, I I don't want to do this anymore because I, in my head, I felt like I was putting pressure on myself to be like something I wasn't totally. And I really had to take some time. I I think I took like a month off at that point. And sat down and said, "You know what? This is my life. This is my head. These are my thoughts. Um, they could tune in or tune out. I don't really care. Uh, but I'm going to do what makes me happy, and this is what makes me happy. And it's, it's successful. So it's, it's you know, the right
1: decision, I think.
0: Yeah, so I, I I think it's an awesome podcast. <laughs> I appreciate it. Man. I appreciate it. Um, to be honest with you, like up until recently." I really questioned if anybody even listened to the podcast. Like I would see the views or whatever on YouTube mm-hmm. and I'm just like, that could be bullshit. fake clicks, whatever. Um, oh. But then when I started seeing the stats from the streaming uh, services, like Spotify and stuff like that, and realized I was in 50 different countries, I was like, Oh, yeah. what, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> You're everywhere. People like what can't be escaped. <laughs> like what is wrong with people? Why are you listening to me? Um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, and that that comes from the imposter syndrome too, which I think is really real. Uh, the one term, the buzzword that I want to talk about that I think is just absolute nonsense is skills gap. Um, what I'm seeing in the industry right now, and I have been seeing for a while, is a lot of entry-level positions that are expecting people to be engineers. And- yes. <laughs> You know, it's such yes. bullshit. I'm like, where are you <laughs> coming up with this? Like, I actually had a talk with somebody today. I interviewed somebody for a position. Um, they ended up getting hired. But the story that they told me really shocked me. So they were telling me about an interview that they went on. And they mentioned during the interview, the executives, they said, you know, we really need someone to help us rewrite this job rec to post online. You know, because right now we don't have a lot of postings and we want to really refine this. Will you help us do that? Without being hired, this person out of the kindness of their heart said, sure, I'll help you do that. So they wrote the job description. The company posted it. When this person applied for it, they said, oh, no, no, I'm sorry. You don't have any on the job training. Uh, training. (laughs) People are ridiculous.
1: I'm right here with you because I'll tell you where this also makes me like, just like curl is like I because I do I do build like businesses and I work with like different partners and things like that and I've kind of gotten to a point where there are certain companies that I toss up certain red flags with like so fast that I it's not even funny now and I'll tell you what those red flags are because it's it's the skills gap thing Mm. if a company hires based on like qualifications I don't believe that someone can be qualified for a job till they've already been there for like a year. And someone else told me that first. And I've been thinking about that since like 2015 or something. And the more I think about it, the more I believe that has to be true. And so it's like, like, okay. So what I started teaching then is, oh, well, follow this task that requires you to complete something from vendor docs. And then lo and behold, if people can do that, Then I can assume that they can probably do just about any general technical job, unless they are quite literally going to be a principal engineer and have to have had like years managing large budgets with like scalable cloud infrastructure, something crazy. Right. But like, that's like you only need one or two of those people in a company, like put them in your like VP or executive branch or something. Right. Everyone else, like, what are they doing? Configuring an API. And then, secret. Let me tell everyone the secret that I hope everyone remembers is that there are vendor docs and what are vendor docs? The people who make the product, if a product is working and I'm going to use Python as an example, mm. if the product is working, it's probably because of the vendor docs from the creators are good enough for adoption to occur, which right. means that it's just a bunch of step one, step two, step three. And then what that also means is that the vendor docs are almost always up to date as to where a lot, I see a lot of people when I try to teach them things, they don't go to vendor docs first, they go to straight to Google because that also does technically make sense, but there's a faster path before Google. Vendor right. first. Go to the vendor. Find a step-by-step from the vendor. There's probably like an ocean of them and they're all, GitLab is such a good example of this. Yes. Like if you go to gitlab.com, <laughs> If you cannot figure out something with GitLab from their vendor docs, then I will not hire you or I will not work (laughs) with you. Not for anything technical ever, because it's, it's just step one, step two. And to this day, even people who I've met who've never touched a computer before they can go and do things with GitLab.
0: Yes. Uh, (laughs) It's like following a fucking recipe. It's not hard.
1: Yes. (laughs) Like, like step one, click click. On this checkbox, step two, look for this exact word.
0: Then yeah.
1: do this exact thing with this exact word. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's like if okay, so do we need a degree for that? No. no.
0: <laughs> you need to know how to read. That's that's basic basically <laughs> it. I'm sure that we could teach some of these three-year-olds that are working with iPads. Yes. cruise through the iPad all day long. We could probably teach them how to develop fresh, right it. just off of vendor docs.
1: Just get just kid, get kids like making things for each. Like I used to make things for kids on the playground. Like my first, uh, I guess, business was was making like Beanie Babies were happening, and it was I was in third grade, and it was like the in thing. And I was like, what if I made my own Beanie Babies? And I asked my parents for some like beans and some like little some cloth, and I sewed like little jellyfish. Wow. Uh, out of like I don't know, it was just bean bags with like yarn hanging from them. But kids would buy them for five bucks on the playground. And then like in fifth grade, I, I like, I, it was the first time I actually made a partner deal. Cause I, I I asked my dad if I could copy the Zelda soundtrack and he's like, well, that's technically not legal. uh, If I wanted to copy it and resell it. So he said, but you can get permission from, from uh, the company. And so I called them. I was like a little kid. They're like, that's so cute. You're like a little kid. Yeah. We'll let, we'll approve it. So that was the first time I got like my first business approval. And then I was like, basically just recording. My dad had this like fancy cassette tape thing where you could take the CD and record it on a cassette tape. So I was giving kids like these Zelda cassette tapes for money nice. and uh, I'd make like calculator program, but really it's like, um, you can, you can kind of just do stuff. You can that, just that's, make things.
0: I was just about to say that, you know, a lot of people don't understand is all you have to have is an idea. You know, it's easy to take that idea and bring it to market. You Know I, I started off doing 3D printing last I think December. So totally. it hasn't been too long. And I found an idea. I created this lantern, cost me four bucks to, to print. I'm selling them for eight bucks. I mean made, oh, yeah. made over a thousand dollars in three weeks. And it's like just little shit like that. You know, I remember in school, my my first business was taking candy to school and selling it to the other kids because in the lunch totally. room they wouldn't sell candy. And everybody wants candy. So I would fill my pockets in my bag with candy and kids would come up and say, Hey, Jolly Ranchers, how much how much for Jolly Rancher? I'd you know, tell them 25 cents or whatever. Oh, so yeah. by the end of by the end of the day, <laughs> I had a pocket full of money I'd go home. My parents were like, What do you do? Di- where, where's this coming from?
1: Yeah, and then you can like go buy things because it's like, yeah. hey, I made my own money.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you can't exactly. tell me what I can't buy. Exactly. And even work. I, I still work for a company. I, I'm still employed full time nine to five job, but I have so many things on the side that I do that, that really fulfill that part of me, um, you know, helping people, mentoring people. Uh, I do a lot with law enforcement over in the UK, mentoring uh, former offenders for cybercrime, And just, I, I just enjoy it. I like having fingers in a lot of things totally. because it provides variety and it keeps me from being super fucking bored. Uh, because I totally burnout, get that. Yeah. Burnout to me, is only established when I start getting bored. Mm-hmm. Um, and with, when I pile stuff on, yeah, it's a little taxing, but I don't get bored, but I do have to take those sabbaticals, you know, like three or four days here and there where I just don't do shit because I'm working and my brain's going 20 happens. <laughs> yeah,
1: <right>? I, <laughs> I relate to that. Cause I, it's interesting. Like I, I don't meet a lot of, um, cause I like keeping <laughs> my, my, my day team. Uh, cause I keep a nine yeah. to five too, yeah. but I guess, uh, Cause even though I teach people how to like break free from like nine to five lives and things like that, for me, I, I will say I like the routine of it and I like structure. having the right people around. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> so with, with the neurodiversity, I have structured routine is super important. So that provides me the nine to five mm-hmm. provides me that, that structure of my life cool. to where the, to where the other parts of my life can be absolutely chaotic, but I can still go back to the structure.
1: I, um, that's the thing I need to, I like, I fall apart without it. Like yes. I have to have like, okay, I wake up. This is like a, like a thing that I have to check. And then I talk to these people almost yes. every day. Yes. And if those people aren't around every day, I, I get depressed and I'm super introverted. And I think part of it for me is like, I have trouble wanting to, to socialize. yes And so if I don't have things to, to force me out of my bubble, I'll start getting like so isolated that I'll be like four or five. Now well, now I, I, I have like more family members around oftentimes. But if, if like family's out, especially on for whatever reason, for like a trip or something like that, uh, like I have a strong tendency to just like vanish. And yeah. I, like, no one will know what happened to me. I'll just be in a dark corner and, and that, that's that. So like the nine to five for me is, is a little more of like, I need to have like people I like People I trust and people who <laughs> like know that I have some weird things going on in my head. Who like are are fine dealing with me, and mm-hmm. then I, I'm like excited to be like, oh, check out this thing I made because I love making random things. Uh, and so I, I guess uh, I would I would be referred to as like a, a renaissance employee who yes. like. I watch the whole company and then I like, see what's going on. I'm like, that person needs this thing. Then I'll go like code it. Cause I love AI. And I'm like, can I, can I help this thing with AI? Can I help that thing with AI? And then they're like, ah, okay. it's that a good time. But it's, it's I I'm very specific about who I work with though. And I, yeah. I, I will go years without working with people if I don't like who I found to work with. Mm-hmm. But It's, it's, it's a thing, I I guess. What, what keeps you with your day team too, just like the routine, all that stuff too. the team. It's, (laughs) it's
0: it's the exact same thing. I work with, with two people who I consider family and my best friends. And one of them is my boss. And he is just, he's just like us. We have that nine to five and we're dedicated and really love and passionate for our job, our nine to five. But he and I will be up until, you know, two o'clock in the morning printing and, and, texting each other, or whatever, saying, Hey, check this shit out. You know, totally. hey, check out this new filament. You know, we're always doing something new. Um, and I think that's important is, is really being able to trust who you work with mm-hmm. and then really knowing that you can be yourself and it's accepted. Um, totally. Because, you know, growing up in, in the environment that I grew up in, I was expected to be a certain way and mm-hmm. do certain things and act a certain way. And when I got older, it was like, fuck that. That's not yep. who I am I, I'm me I don't I don't have these rules programmed up here like I didn't come I did I wasn't born with this this rule set or your morals I, I was born with my own totally. and I look at everybody else and I accumulate that what they have and what they their beliefs and how they operate and I pull what I like from each each one of those individuals and I embed that in myself Totally, um, I'm not one of those ones who will follow. What everybody expects me to do. Um, and yeah, it's caused issues in the past with family and, and relationships and schooling and stuff like that. But in the end at the end of the day, those people are still doing what they're doing and are happy being drones. That's not me. Like <laughs> yeah, I have to do I, my I relate to that.
1: <laughs> Yeah.
0: And so like the, the introvert part. That you spoke about is so me when i moved back to the states last year from london um i moved to chattanooga i have an apartment in a really nice historical building and i never leave um, everything i need is right here uh i'm not a big fan of like running into random people on the street um, not my thing and sometimes you know what keeps me accountable and what keeps me social is i schedule these podcasts with people that i like that i respect that are interesting. To me, And I want that social interaction. I get to choose that social interaction if they choose to be on the show and that's a good me, way to socialize. Yeah. And to me, that keeps me in check. That makes me social. It makes me accountable. I have to show up and forces me to be social because I've made a commitment and I, I never fail on my commitments. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just that that's me. The that nutshell is, is the introvert and I get out when I want to, but there are times when, I shut the light canceling curtains and I hermit and that that's I get that I'm the happy there time. I'm happy there
1: like, I, I definitely use the DevSecOps Dojo to pull me out of my shell in a similar way. Like, Because I, I like coming on to things like podcasts like this, too. Because it's like, I want to come talk to folks who I like talking to. Mm. But what helps me with the Dojo is like, I, I need to feel responsible for other yes. people to motivate myself sometimes. Mm. And if there's no one else who I feel like is depending on me, there's certain things that I, even if I wish that I would accomplish it, I, I, I just won't. Uh, and so by having the dojo, there's always someone who needs something, which I yeah. want. And I think that, that folks who talk to me enough in there can tell. I, I do get so many messages now that it's kind of hard to keep up with everyone. Uh, but still, it's, it's uh, one of those things where it's like, why did I want to make it so that I have to monetize my members Because I know that if they're going to make this commitment to what I'm saying that they're going to do and I'm going to help them like make a living, I know what it's like to be broke in the past. I know what it's like to be like starting out and trying to figure out what the hell you're going to do. And you like go to investors and they all turn you down or you go apply to jobs and they all tell you that you're just uh, or they ghost you or come up with who knows what. And uh, you got bills to pay, you got life situations getting complicated. All of a sudden, health stuff starts
0: setting in, and you just oh, like, bro, <laughs> all just swoops in at once. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I'm experiencing that now. Like, so the only reason why I was allowed back to, to the United States was I was diagnosed with epilepsy. <clears throat> oh, and sure, sure, sure. In the UK, UK it's, since it's socialized medicine, it, they frown upon people being indigent and not being citizens mm. for socialized healthcare. Sure, so sure. that that kind of got me back into the States. The hospital communicated with the embassy and was able to, to squeeze me back in. Um, Makes sense. But growing older, it's like at, at one point in my life, I wanted to be all of these things. And I wanted to be up here and I wanted to do all this mm-hmm. stuff. <clears throat> but I'm going to point in my life now where I'm happy doing what I'm doing. Um, I'm happy, you know, diving off into different things. But to me, it's it's not climbing that ladder anymore. It's mm-hmm. not trying to be... This, this acronym, totally. it's more of just being happy and helping other people find what made me happy.
1: I love yeah. that, yeah. Totally.
0: Yeah, so, so I, I, I told the last guest, I was like, you know one of the, the main differences between me and a lot of people that I know is I don't gauge my success on what I've done. I gauge it on what other people have done that I've helped or mentored or totally. helped them develop. You know, their success absolutely fulfills me, even though it's their success, because I help them get to that point. Um, and to me, there's a ton of fulfillment that. And I think that's why another reason why I keep the nine to five is because I can take these these people coming into the industry, these young people, and watch them progress and encourage that's them. That's very true. Yeah. You know, and just yeah. watching an intern go from intern to you know a sock one or sock two or an engineer. To me, that is like so cool because I I interviewed this person, and now look what they're doing. You know, totally. it's so cool. Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoy watching success of other people, and I know in our industry that's fucking rare because it's, yeah. it's very <laughs> true. It seems
1: Everyone like everybody's holding big pants.
0: Everybody's holding the pitchfork, going fail,
1: fail, fail. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, and then like uh, you have these people who are like well you should be more like me and then you can you know and it's like
0: uh... i'll pass on that <laughs>
1: there's like a there's like a club so anyone who's like tried to get into cybersecurity as an industry because like one of the reasons why i started doing a lot of the things i'm like well if, if i can't get like funding from the like kumbaya club mm-hmm. like i i can fund myself because i right. think well i think it's one of the thing I, I I will probably believe this forever. I think everyone at some point should learn something about how to actually just make money on their own, which is probably yes. why the dojo's emphasized around that. And like I see, like in ten years, I need the dojo to be running itself, where people are like teaching each other how to do that, and it's kind of like a similar kind of thing. Right, and it's it's if you have the ability to make money on your own, then when you do go work at a nine to five, it's still different though, because Mm -hmm. then it's like you're choosing to be there. And then also the people who you work with know that you're there, not because they're like coercing you with money and going to like try to lay you off or whatever. They like know that you actually want to be there because you could just leave at any second if you really felt like it. Uh, And it's like, Well, I mean, you know, you've, you've worked with like different kinds of contracts and if someone's not treating you well, or, or just being disrespectful or causing problems in general, or just making things too stressful, it's like, just leave. And it's just not even worth it. Uh, And, and then it's finding other people who are trying to get that for themselves and they are trying to like make something, um, you're so right with like, especially this talent gap stuff in a lot of ways, it's like the talent gap is the failure of. Not in a lot of ways. I think in
0: most it of the is. ways,
1: it's just a complete failure of like the hiring organization and <laughs> how they want to run things.
0: Like it's not related to
1: it. That is the problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause it's, 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 if, if you have there's more talent in the market Mm. that can do the work that people are claiming they can't find talent for. And it's because they look for, well, you see it like in the dating world, people treat hiring (laughs) like dating where they're like, Oh, I'm going to choose the person with the best jaw structure and the perfect (sighs) hips and the Mm. ripped abs and what, you know, all the, all those things. And then they like, try to like, make their relationship that they choose built around those things. And then they'll even choose like a partnership around stuff that (laughs) they don't even have the same worldview. They don't even have the same idea of what respect should look like. And then they just like fight each other and don't know why they're fighting each other all the time. And it's like, it's like that hiring managers, they're like, okay, so if they have the, the ripped abs, maybe that's the CISSP And then maybe they have like the perfect like jawline and they always have like a collared shirt on. Maybe that's the security plus. Right. And and all those things or whatever, Uh, then, then that is the perfect hire. And then they'll hire them. And I'll tell you what happens is a lot of those people are good at passing tests and that is their skill. Yes. And then you end up with people who are good at passing tests, but not good at doing work. And then they say... That the problem is that the talent's not out there when they're hiring test takers, not engineers.
0: Yes. So my, my mantra and kind of like my MO when I was younger was social engineering my way into a job. And before people freak out and like, oh, what are you talking about? Let me explain. So companies expect a certain look they expect a certain level of professionals. They expect you to look a certain way, to talk a certain way, to spit the buzzwords out that they're looking for. So I studied that and I'm not the type of person to wear a suit or a tie. And I would do that just because I knew that's what they were expecting me to do. And then I would go in and blow their mind because I actually knew what I was talking about. Um, but you know, as I got older, it's like one joy that i that I've found through my success in my career is that I've gotten to a point where I don't have to go look for a job. People will contact me. And then that's I can cho- then I can choose where I want to go. But that only occurs when you prove yourself throughout your other jobs you've had. Mm-hmm. Like you can't have a shitty job history and expect at some point in your life someone's going to call you and say, hey, I got a job for you. But that's not how shit works. You have that's to true. prove yourself first, put in the time and the effort. And then you can be completely individualistic and fly by the seat of your pants because they want you for you. And I think that's part of the hiring flaw that we have right now, especially with certifications, is when a company tells me that we're looking, they have to have this certification in order to walk in the door. To me, that's identifying to me that they're not concerned about people, it's not a people company. And they will fire your ass, lay lay you off quicker than anybody else because guess what? You're nothing but a certification because that's what it took to get in the door. And I think that's really sad because my platform lately, about the past year, was we need to start treating people like people, like humans, individuals, not numbers, not employees, not a developer, not a hacker. These are people with lives, right? And to assign a value to a person based on a certification, to me, it's just bullshit, you know? Yeah, I, yeah they may have the certification, but they may be a complete nightmare to be around or to communicate. With.
1: Very true, yeah. yeah. And, and it kind of goes back to what you said <laughs> earlier too, because like, I feel like in a lot of ways, certifications play into the like, uh, what, do, what do you call it? Uh, like quick, like instant gratification culture. Yes, yes. Uh, because, you know, we're so used to like, oh, get this thing now, Amazon, they want you to buy it now, now everything now. now
0: now now yeah
1: and if you want to find someone who's going to make your business money they have to have some form of persistence to stick through things that might be really hard to stomach for like 3 years or longer yeah. at least 1 year like come on now and a certification it's oftentimes and and ah uh, uh, boot camps kill me certifications oh, that's a waste. And boot camps i just i have so much trouble and I, I I signed a paper saying that I wouldn't talk bad about boot camps, and I'm doing it. It's happening. It's, it's happening now. Just don't <laughs> see me. Um, so
0: like. <laughs> nobody listens to podcasts, podcast anyways. Don't worry about it.
1: Perfect. We're good. I, they probably wouldn't trust this podcast. anyway. they're like, Oh, that's <laughs> one of those people. We can't, we can't support those people. So yeah. <laughs> like certifications, you study for a season and then it's over. And if you hire someone who is there for a season and then it's over, I mean, there's a reason why a lot of times you see performance and I'm a data scientist. So I watch like, if you work uh, in like and you come with like uh, analytics backgrounds and things like that, you see like worker activity go up for like maybe three months and then you'll see a harsh like nosedive. Yeah. And it, it's like, that is the general pattern that you get with certifications. Cause it's like, like you're studying up, it's a lot real fast, done and uh one of the one of the things that then companies will do is they'll just have your job be to just go get more certifications sometimes if they don't know what else to do with you cuz then they can go and use that as a marketing tool. Right. And so while people think that the certifications that their company is funding them to get is like cuz the company might believe in like them and that it's going to supposedly be good for them, well really the company's just like oh, well, we're just trying to like check some boxes for compliance saying we have someone with this cert, we have someone with this cert, we have someone with this cert. And they're just going through making sure that they're checking off all the cert boxes. And every time they pay for that $1,000 certification for you or that $150,000 sans lesson for you and all those different things. And I actually like sans. They do some stuff that is a little more effective uh, than others. (laughs) But once, once they've paid for that, then all of a sudden they have a marketing tool And that marketing tool of that certification is more valuable than your output as an employee. They make more money off of you having that cert than your actual work and your actual general value for companies who build their way that way. And then the certification is actually part of their financial bottom line and their economics for that to work. So boot camps, I think are extra complicated because we all have to remember that human beings, the brain still works like a muscle. The brain has limited energy, limited capacity. And I don't know how many people have researched decision fatigue, but look up decision fatigue. You can go yep. on... Uh, What's a good website for that? Plaus1.org is a good good website for like some of that deeper research. So if you Mm -hmm. go to like Plaus1 and look in like scientific community research and you look up decision fatigue, you'll find out it's not just something that people make up in blogs. It's Mm -hmm. ongoing studies that people have done for years upon years upon years. And the way we could kind of illustrate this is that. Uh, If you're a human being, then whoever you are, you have X amount of decisions that your brain can generally chew on before it starts to like decline in productivity or trying to figure something out. Right. If you continually push your brain to make more decisions than it's primed to be able to do that amplifies the concept of burnout so that you in burnout is where you're then so decision fatigued that you actually are at a, a permanent hint. Yeah. It's just like a stall where your decision-making capacity is like gone.
0: Yeah.
1: And that's what burnout actually really comes from in a lot of ways. And it's, it's physiological. You burn calories when you make decisions, you might not know that
0: <laughs> Yeah, hundred percent. Like the brain itself is, is important. So it requires yeah. things to be able to function. And when you overload it, and it can't get what it needs to keep going? Absolutely. And I, I think a lot of the problems with hiring too, when you, look, when you look back at fatigue and stuff like that, the problem that I'm seeing, the majority across the board, it's not really that that we're, we're overloading analysts or we're overloading people. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that we're hiring from outside instead of promoting from within. Because they can spend less money bringing someone from the outside in, then giving totally. somebody a pay raise and the promotion, and I'm totally against that. And I, I made a point to when I started this new job was to first of all look to promote from within, and then after I make those promotions, then I hire outside talent to not only amplify but encourage that promotion. Totally. Um, because the knowledge that that person that with experience coming in can share with the rest of the team that has been gradually promoted up. Is phenomenal and then everybody starts that incline continues it doesn't go back down totally um, another thing that I found too with certifications is that yeah people will work really hard and they'll study really hard for the certification once they get it some people tend to plateau and yeah. that's <laughs> it that. you know <laughs> yeah. and, and it's sad it really is because I'm the type of person like you know especially when we talk about fatigue and we talk about decision fatigue. One of the things that I learned early on, um, just troubleshooting and and building shit and doing it on my own without having somebody instruct me, just learning how to do it myself, is that you'll hit that wall. And usually for me, it's late at night, and yeah, I'll I'll program something and it just won't fucking work over and over and over again. And it boggles me because I can't figure out what it is that is failing. But when I, I take a break, I go to bed, wake up the next morning. Guess what? The first manipulation I make, the shit works. Why? <laughs> because I wasn't making the right decisions. I, I was thinking I was making the right decision, but my brain was so tired it was just like fuck. I don't know. Choose something. So I, I think that you know, with hiring, with job performance, stuff like that, it's an individual aspect, right? Totally. It's a hu- it's a human aspect. So if it's rely, so human. Yeah, yeah. We rely on certifications to hire or promote people. I mean, what are you promoting? Are you promoting a certification or the human? Because you really need to take a step back and look at that. And the industry right now is not so much people oriented. There's very few companies that I've seen that I've talked to that have a culture that supports individualism and and supports, you know, freedom of thought. Um, So it's a failure. It's a failure to the industry. And, you know, when you get one company, when you get Gartner that says you need to do this. no, oh, yes. The whole, the whole industry does it <laughs> and everybody fails. So, you know, I, I just, I really try to, to, to buck the system and challenge it. Not that I want the system to fail, but I want to make it better. And The only that's way awesome. to make a system better is to challenge it. And so that, that's why I'm so vocal about certifications and, and what we're doing wrong in the industry is because if you think I'm wrong, change the way you do things. See if it works. If it doesn't, I'm wrong. Great. Yeah. But it works. It works for me. (laughs) So, you know, I'm I'm with you on all that. Yeah, for
1: sure. (laughs) It's like a boot camp. It's like, you're going to sit there and have people just like give you more information than you'll, then you'll know what to do with. And then if you try to do other things on top, that there goes the rest of your decisions. And then it's like companies, they want you to work like 80 hours a week doing development coding is decision heavy and and dude every line is a decision oh my goodness like (laughs) it's like it's like oh do i do i want to use nmap for the scan or do i want to use better or should i use um radar too, maybe no <laughs> but it's like all these different options it's like where well, should i use Ghidra? but if i use yeah. Ghidra, i can't do imply and it's it's like what
0: <laughs> and, then you, and then you talk about artificial intelligence and all the algorithms like Bayes algorithm that, that supports artificial intelligence you, you think about all, the, all those algorithms and it's like there's so many decisions to make <laughs> and so many problems to solve yeah yeah it's just it's a fun industry don't get me wrong i love the industry that i'm in um I don't necessarily love everybody in it. I don't necessarily love (laughs) all the, all the practices that, that, that take place. Um, And I really, I'll I'll end this on this thought. Um, When I pulled up LinkedIn the other day and I saw somebody posted and they were so happy about the way the community was working because they police themselves (laughs) No. Please. If you're coming into the community and you are coming inside the street, never do that shit. You're not a policeman. Your morals don't trump somebody else's. If, if, if you don't agree with somebody, let it be, let them go. There's no reason <laughs> to, to go publicly and trash somebody for something they did. Just no. let it go. So yeah, th- this has been a, a great talk. dude. Um, I, I usually have podcasts for about an hour. Uh, maybe a little shy of an hour. This one's gone an hour and 40 minutes, um, which I think is phenomenal. So I'd like to continue this conversation some, uh, some other time on another episode. If you'd be willing to come back, I think it'd be a, a great talk, especially you know, talk, about some, talk about some AI and, and go that route too. Definitely. So I, I appreciate you coming on. It's been an honor having you here. Any last thoughts for the listeners or for anybody? I mean, my main
1: thought is, is, is just get out there and start doing something and, and, and give, give credit to your own ideas and just try something, even if your idea might go south, because the best ideas start with letting something go south before you find the good ideas. So try it.
0: Yeah. And a lot of good ideas happen by accident.
1: <laughs> yes, sure. definitely.
0: Sure. So with that, I'll close it out. It's been an honor and a pleasure. And uh, I wish you the best of luck. And, you know, someday in the future, we should probably do some collaboration. I think that we would probably get along pretty well. So with that, I'll close it out and uh, we'll see you guys next weekend. Thanks.